0: Amen. Wow. Well, thank you, Faith Family, for singing those songs and praying together. It is enough that Jesus died for me. And we have to be um, sure of that. So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. When I started the series, I told you we could go extremely long in the series. I could really pull apart every single verse, go long and deep, and it would take us years to get through. I really want to get the flow of the text. I want to get the, the, all the main points and the, and the wonderful truth and let you go and search for other things as we go through it. Chapter 1, it's all about the deity and the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. He's been appointed heir of all things. He, he created the world. He's the brightness of the glory of God. He's the express image of God. He is very God of very God. He's the sustainer of all things. He's purged our sins through the cross, and he has risen and ascended and sat at the right hand. All of creation is consummating in the coming of Jesus, and so we have the rest of Hebrews 1, the whole timeline of the future. From his resurrection to his second coming when all the angels worship him, when he sets up the millennial kingdom and sits on the throne of righteousness, at the end of, the, at the end of that time, then all the earth will melt with fervent heat, And all the unsaved will stand before the great white white throne, and Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And and all who do not believe will be cast into a lake of fire. And all those who believe will enter into the eternal kingdom, the eternal state. And so this is chapter one. And then chapter two. There's a warning about drifting. Do not drift, and do not neglect such a great salvation. I didn't get an opportunity this morning, but the rest of chapter two describes the great salvation. I only gave you one part of it. There's four more parts of this great salvation. So let's dig into it. We'll pray first. Remember that first point, Hebrews 2, 5 through 13. That reciting Psalm 8, God gave to Adam and Eve a mandate to subdue and have dominion. They were delegated authorities over all of the earth. They they forsook that by disobeying God. The authority was handed over to Satan, who is now the prince of the power of the air, jesus had to become flesh he had to die on the cross pay our sin and rise from the dead and now as the second adam he can take over control of the earth do you see the great salvation It's not just so narrow as my own individual salvation god is rescuing this whole planet from the curse of sin and from the hands of satan and he will rule and reign forever and ever hallelujah all right so that's the first point christ became flesh jesus became man so that he could die for us, rise from the dead, and take control and regain control over this earth. All right, we'll talk about four more points after we pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We truly want to be leaning on the everlasting arms as we sang tonight. We have no other plea. We have no other device or creed. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. What wonderful truth of the gospel, so plain and simple. The only thing Satan can do is add to it. And that he does very well. So I pray, Father, we would understand Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift of God, and we can receive it by faith alone. So thank you again for the gospel message, and even for these various aspects of the great salvation Jesus has provided that we are not to drift from and we are not to neglect. So open our hearts and minds and help us to understand these few verses at the end of chapter 2 of Hebrews. May Jesus be praised. Amen. Well, the first reason, as I said, Jesus came to regain control over this earth. Number 2, verse 14. A second reason that Jesus came, he became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could render the power of the devil, he, he, to render the devil powerless. Satan has the power of death in his hands and and Jesus had to come to really render him inoperative, to take away the power of Satan and to destroy the devil himself. So look at verse 14. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken, we have partaken of flesh and blood. All of mankind have one thing in common. We have all partaken of flesh and blood. We are born of Adam and Eve. We're born out of a mother, with skin and skeleton, flesh um, and blood. So, all of us in the human race are under the same condition, the sin curse of Adam. So, inasmuch then as the children, this is all of mankind, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself likewise, he came born of a woman, born of a virgin, and he had a birth just like all of our births, a natural birth, but a virgin conception. He himself likewise shared in the same. Now, the first word, same, means full participation. Koinonia. We, we all have partaken of flesh and blood fully. We also have the sin curse in us. Jesus, likewise, came and shared the same. It's, it's the Greek word metko, which means he shared part of. He took upon himself full humanity without the sin curse. He is God, fully God, fully man, yet without sin. So he himself, likewise, Taken upon himself flesh and blood, shared in the same, yet not, not the sin nature, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So, a second part of our great salvation is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and the devil himself. But in order to do that, he had to come and he had to suffer and die and rise from the dead. Praise God that the devil has an end. He will someday be cast in the lake of fire forever. For the thousand-year millennial reign, he'll be bound, not able to do his tempting and destructive works, but after the thousand years, he will be cast forever and permanently in a lake of fire. So Jesus did this in his coming to destroy the devil who had the power of death. There's a third reason why Jesus had to come, and that's found in verses 15 and 16. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. A third reason Jesus had to become flesh is to free us from the fear of death. Listen, when I talk to the unsaved, you know what they're most concerned about? Death. There is a great terror and fear of death. I've been at many bedsides of unsaved people and the panic in their eyes, even in those last hours and minutes of their death. There was one time that I was in a room with an individual... And they wanted to speak to me. They looked at me with the most open and clear eyes, but absolutely full of terror and fear. And they said they do not know where they're going when they die. And I pleaded with them at that last moment of their breath to put their faith in Jesus, who loves them and gave his life for them. He paid their sin. And if they would trust him, even in those last minutes, this individual could be saved. But the look of terror... And you can even tell the uneasiness. And um, literally, minutes after I spoke with this individual, they passed away. Scary. There's this fear of death that, for, that during our lifetime here on earth um, puts people into bondage. It's a bondage of sin and a slavery to the passions of this world. And there's this great fear of death. So when Jesus came, he released us from the fear of death. You know, my students at school, they wonder... Mr. Weta, how come you don't care if you die? And I'm like, because I know that the very moment I die, I will be with Jesus. I will be more alive than ever in this body. Even when I was a little child and quite healthy and, and rambunctious, the moment I die, I will be more alive than ever before. I think of those in our church family that have recently gone to be with Jesus. They right now are far more alive and vibrant than any time in their life and any time, or more than any of us in this room. It's. There is no fear of death. There is no terror for the believer in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? He came and he had to suffer and die so that we can be broken free from this fear of death and the bondage of, of uh, slavery of sin. Well, praise God for his good, good... You know what it says in John 8? Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never see death. And the word see that he uses is the word to see with interest, to look at with some kind of careful interest. Like we really wanna find out more about it. If you believe in Jesus, the moment you die, um, you are instantly in the presence of the Lord and death doesn't even, you don't even give a glance at death. You don't even think about it. There's no terror, there's no fear. It is as easy as as walking across the threshold. You You don't look at the threshold when you walk. Like when I walk through this door, every day all the time and i never look at the door frame i never look at the threshold i don't i don't give it a casual glance or even a careful glance the believer will never give a careful glance at death it is simply you're here and then you're in heaven with jesus face to face then jesus says in john 8 51 to 54 he says whoever believes in me will never taste death and the word taste means to feel like your whole body can feel sweet or sour or bitter um, we will never feel or experience any, any aspect of, of, the, of death. The, the total, t- the sting of death is gone. And so praise God for his work there. Look at verse 16, to go along with the same point. For indeed, he, Jesus, does not give aid to angels. Angels who fell in sin and rebelled against God, Lucifer the first and then the third that followed him, they are locked in their state of fallenness. They are, they are locked in their state of rebellion and they cannot be saved. A third of the angels and Satan himself forever, like it says in Matthew 24, um, they, or Matthew 25, they will forever, verse 41 says, be in a lake of fire. It was created for the wicked angels. And so, um, God Jesus does not give aid or help to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, he helps, he helps the, the, those who have faith receive his help. Those who are children of Adam and Eve and they don't put their faith in Jesus, he can't help them. He already offered his life for them and paid for their sin. If they, by their free will, reject him, then he cannot help them and they will go to hell in a lake of fire. But to those who believe that are the seed of Abraham, all those who have genuine faith in Jesus, he gives aid. And he releases us from the fear of death and the bondage of sin. Well, there's a fourth reason. That was the third. That we no longer have the fear of death because he came as a man. Another reason, verse 17, Jesus had to become a man in order for him to become our high priest. A prophet intercedes and mediates from God to man. A prophet would take God's word and represent God to man by speaking God's word to the people. A priest represents sinful man to a holy God. So we need a high priest, but one without sin and one that is perfectly fit. And so this is a fourth reason why Jesus came. This is part of our great salvation. Verse 17, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to become human flesh, born of a virgin. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. We need a mediator. God dwells in unapproachable light. We cannot approach him. We need a we need go between, and it is according to First Timothy, um, chapter two. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So he is our high priest, and then you'll you'll hear much of the high priest throughout the book of Hebrews in things pertaining to God. So another reason why Jesus came, and then a fifth reason why Jesus came, part of our great salvation. So do you see, Jesus not only reclaims authority over this cursed earth, and then he lets us enter in the glory of ruling and reigning, um, not only has he freed us from the, from the power of Satan, who has the power of death, he's destroyed the devil, he's freed us from death and the bondage of sin, he has given us aid, he um, is our merciful and faithful high priest, and then finally, number five, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, verse 17. Jesus Christ has satisfied. Propitiation means that the wrath, the anger of God has been satisfied fully. When Jesus died on the cross and all of our sin was laid on him, and God the Father poured his wrath on Jesus, God's wrath is fully satisfied through Jesus. Anyone who believes in Jesus has the propitiation work effective in their life, and God is no longer angry with us. The unsaved, they haven't received that gift yet. And so they must put their faith in Jesus uh, to receive the propitiation for their sins. So he is the satisfaction of God's anger against sins. And then finally, in verse 18, look at this. And all of this because Jesus came. What a great salvation. Verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered. You know, Jesus has suffered fully in his flesh. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was without sin, and he knew what it was like to be hungry. He walked many distances. You know, He had uh, the agonizing time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He suffered on the cross, the mockery, the humiliation. He even suffered death on our behalf. He knows what it means to be tempted. Satan tempted him many times in the 40 days, and then three final times, three final tests, in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4. So Jesus knows, having suffered himself, what temptation is all about yet you know he came through it without sin so he is able to aid he is able to run to give help to those in distress to those who are tempted we have a high priest in heaven who knows what human life is all about he loves us and he is ready to give aid to those who need it well that is a great salvation you drift away or you neglect that And the Lord will have to discipline you to bring you back into righteousness, to bring you back into right training um, and uh, bearing fruit for him. So praise God for a great salvation. We looked at the angels and the law, how the angels' word was steadfast, the angels and the Ten Commandments, and how Jesus' word is better. Next Sunday, we're going to look at Moses. And we're going to look at Moses and the Promised Land and how Jesus is far greater. So you're going to get all these contrasts about how awesome Jesus is and how, how we, we ought not to and dare not drift away or neglect such a great salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for such a Savior. We, we don't even have words. We have seen in Chapter 1 his awesome splendor, not only in his sevenfold character, but also His the future as he directs all of the course of history to his consummation and goal, that he might be King of kings and Lord of lords. We see the warning that we ought not to drift away from the from sound doctrine from Christ and we cannot neglect such a great salvation because we will never escape your disciplining hand. I pray for those who are not saved. They are under your wrath. John 3:36 says your wrath abides on the unsaved forever. But once they put their faith in Jesus, they receive the gift of eternal life and then your wrath against their sin has been fully satisfied in Christ. It becomes effective for them. And so I pray for people to be saved that are listening to this message. Thank you that Jesus came and he regained. He will one day have total authority over this earth, snatching it from the devil's hands. Thank you that he uh, has destroyed the devil. He has freed us from the fear of death. He is our faithful and merciful high priest and he is the propitiation for our sins. He has satisfied your wrath against all of our sins. What a great salvation. What a wonderful Savior. Help us to be light and salt to those around us as we share the gospel, and we are reminded every day of the great and finished work of Christ on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for your work, and thank you for this church and for all that we do. Um, Put your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.